maybe two or three positive and negative charges in the piece. And another little piece with positive and negative charges. Small pieces close together. Then the balance can't be perfect. Because when the distance, when we look at this thing, we see, for example, that since the force varies inversely as a distance, the distances perhaps of the negatives from each other and the distance of the negatives from the positives are not exactly the same. And although the whole thing is neutral in the sense that it has the same number of positives and negatives, the real forces don't actually perfectly balance out, and the imbalance becomes more as the things get closer and closer together. To take a simple example, if we had one object that looked like this, which is neutral, and then from something far away, there's no force. But if we have another object very close that looks like this, then this repulsion here is much stronger than this attraction because the distance is less, and these two objects would repel each other and so forth. This is the origin of the forces between the atoms. The chemical forces, it turns out, the things that hold the atoms together, the chain make, well, the things that hold materials together, and the chemical forces, it turns out, are all electrical forces uh, due to the in, in a region in which the balance is not so perfect. We might ask some questions. They are intimate enough, and if this force is so terrific, why don't they just get on top of each other? Why don't the negative electric, we know, of course, that the atoms are made with new positive charges in the center in the nucleus, protons in the nucleus, and electrons outside. And the problem is, after explaining so clearly why it's such an intimate mixture, the question is, why isn't it still more intimate? And the answer to that has to do with the uncertainty principle. If we try to confine our electrons in a region that's closer to the proton, then by the uncertainty principle, we must allow for some mean square momentum, which increases as you try to confine into a smaller space. And so the kinetic energy and the quantum mechanical effect is what keeps the electrical attraction from going any further. So they're as tight as they can get according to the laws of quantum bigger principle of uncertainty. Still, there's one more question. What holds the nucleus together? Here we have in the nucleus several protons. They're all positive. Why don't they push themselves apart? Because it turns out that in nuclei there are, in addition to electrical forces, non-electrical forces. There is in nature more than electricity. And so, unfortunately, sophomore year is not the last part of the physics course. But <laughs> there are forces in here. <laughs> are nuclear forces which are greater than the electrical forces and are able to hold the protons together in spite of the electrical force. However, the nuclear force is a short range and uh, have a problem. If a nucleus gets too many protons in it, it gets too big. Let's take uranium with 92. Then uh, the attracted nuclear forces having a short range only, well, they have a limited amount of strength because of the short range. But the long-range protons are all interacting in every pair. There's a push of this one against that one, this one against that one, this one against that one, adding together. So that if I have, for example, 100 protons here, I have 100 times 50 pairs of pushing, 5,000 pairs. And the more protons you put in, the stronger is the electrical repulsion. Until, in the case of the uranium, the thing is so delicately balanced, it's almost ready to blow up from electrical force, and if it's just tapped lightly with an external neutron, then it falls apart, and the two pieces fly into two pieces. The thing breaks into two pieces with less positive charge, and which fly apart by electrical repulsion. 
And the energy, which is liberated, is, of course, the energy of the atomic bomb. It is usually called nuclear energy, but as a matter of fact, it's only electrostatic energy. As a matter of fact, careful thought of this subject for this lecture has convinced me that the nuclear forces are working against this disruption, right? And so it's the exact opposite. Nuclear energy is a minus contribution to this sum, and the electrical energy is what it really is, which is overpowers the nuclear attractive energies, negative energies, and that we are really releasing electrical energy, but less than we would have if it weren't for the nuclear forces. So that's what the atomic bomb is based on, electrical energy. Finally, we might ask what holds a negative charged electron together? Well, you can say, uh, you can say if the electron is all of one kind, it should blow itself apart. That one piece of the electron should push against the other piece. You say, yeah, but does the electron have pieces? Maybe the electron is just a point and that the real flaws of force are between different charges and the electron cannot act on itself. It turns out that this problem has never been resolved and we will entertain ourselves by discussing it later in the course. The question of what holds an electron together or how to get rid of the, well, that kind of question has produced untold difficulties for the theory of electrodynamics which have never been solved but nevertheless can be discussed. Now, as you see, it is the combination of electrical force and quantum mechanical laws which makes the properties of matter. And the properties of matter are very complicated. And when we first study the electrical laws, we have to keep things, hard things from easy, easy things. And so the first thing to do is to realize that we must discuss first the electrical laws without getting confounded by the behavior of matter when we're studying the electrical laws. You see, for instance, matter has many different properties and many different kinds of electrical properties. There are pieces of matter in which the electrons are free, or practically free, to move from one place to the other. Uh, those are electrical conductors, metals, for example. There are other pieces, kinds of matter in which the electrons are stuck very much on an atom. And when you put a, try to pull it, pull it electrically with electric force, why, it doesn't go away from the atom, it just displays slightly. It gives a little bit, but it doesn't move away. Those are insulators. So I'm not, we're going to discuss these properties of matter later on, but not in this particular lecture. This particular lecture has to do mostly with the properties of the electrical forces themselves and not the response of the matter to the forces. So therefore, I would like to discuss more in detail the character of this force law of electricity. In the first place, I said that the force was inversely as a square of the distance. This is called Coulomb's law. But in more detail, it's not precisely so when their things are moving. The forces depend upon the velocities in a complicated way, and this velocity dependence that produces other effects which we, call, which we call magnetism, as we'll see in a moment. But there are certain principles which are generally true about the force. By generally, I don't mean more or less usually true, like people usually mean when they say, what people generally mean when they say generally, but uh, rather in complete generality, the exact opposite. It's always true that the force on a charge can be represented this way. It depends upon the position of the charge through one vector E and also on the velocity of the charge 
Not the charge. Here's a charge here. The force that's on this charge, if you have a lot of other charges around moving any which way and doing whatever you want, depends upon the position of this charge only and on the velocity of this charge only. And then the charge. So the force is given by giving a term which depends upon the position. E is a function of the position x, y, z, and also the time. And if I put some other charge there or move here, the force would be given by the same E. Wait a minute. Now we have to be sure of something. That is, supposing that all the rest of the things in the world do, don't change their motions or don't change their positions. If I move a different charge here, of course, this charge produces forces on this, and depending on the properties of matter, they respond in a different way, and so the situation of these charges would be different. But the way we have to make the analysis is this. Suppose certain particular positions and motions of these other charges, what is the force on this one? And when we consider taking this away and moving it in and so on, we are not considering, for this purpose, the effects that this has on these, but we're supposing that the motions of these are kept the same in each example. That's a very important point, is that the conductor or something, when you move a charge up here, others come rushing up and changes the force. So uh, we're not going to talk about that. We suppose that these charges are fixed. But then the force depends upon position and on velocity in this way. And so the entire information on the behavior of this thing can be summarized by giving two vectors, which we call the electric and the magnetic field. And what we need to know is the law for the production of electric and magnetic fields from given charge distributions.